Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So I'm excited about having the children in the room. I really am. I, you know, we've been preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. I've been sharing uh, some of the things that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And uh, I decided today, since I knew you guys would be here, to talk about the golden rule. Golden rule. Does anybody know what the golden rule is? Any kids know what the golden rule is? Tom knows the golden rule. He thinks whoever has the gold makes all the rules. <laughs> and that is how the world does it. Yeah. Yeah, that is exactly it. Where's my kids? Do you know the golden rule? Yeah? Yeah, it's written right up there. Who can read? <laughs> um, you're going to be quiet. Okay, let me ask you this. Does the golden rule say do it to others before they do it to you? Is that what it is? Yeah? Yeah, do it. No? Does it say um, uh, do unto others what they've done to you already? Oh, oh, no, that's like payback. That's not the golden rule. What's the golden rule say? It says do unto others as you would have them do to you. Can you say that with me? All the adults to, to support the kids. I want the kids to say it really loud. Ready? One, two. I feel like I'm doing kids church again. Ready? One, two, three. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Unto you. There you go. Very good. Now, can anybody tell me what that means? Treat people. That's good. Does it mean that you should treat people the way they deserve to be treated? No. Does it mean that you should treat people the way that you think they deserve to be treated? <laughs> That's a good one for the adults right there. Does it mean to treat that you should uh, treat people so nice? Because if you treat them nice, you hope they'll treat you nice back. Well, it's getting a little tricky here. Of course, you hope they're going to treat you nice back. But what's the reason for it? No, you're supposed to treat people the way you want to be treated, even if they don't do it back to you in return. It's what the golden rule is. So let's think about how this works for a minute. I want my daughter to look up at me and my son, <laughs> Abigail, Benjamin, there we go. Does it mean that if your brother does not share his video game with you, that you shouldn't share your gummy worms with him? <laughs> Ooh, no, that's not what it means. Is it? Oh, I'm getting purse. I'm meddling now. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. Does it mean that if somebody whips around you in traffic trying to get ahead, you should speed up and block them from coming back in your lane? Yes. <laughs> Is that the goal? Yeah, it gets real now, right? <laughs> does it mean if your brother doesn't share his video game with you, you should share your gummy worms with him so that he'll change his mind and start sharing? <laughs> hey, that's a good strategy. It really is. But it's not the golden rule, is it? The golden rule is how we treat one another regardless of how they treat us. Even if they don't share, we're supposed to do good things for others. If we're really, here, here's what the golden rule, put this one up that says the golden rule means, the golden rule means that we are supposed, there we go. The golden rule means that we are supposed to do things for others as if we're doing something really nice for ourselves. That's a good way of saying it, isn't it? I should treat others in my life as if I were making myself a present to give to me, as if my actions toward them are what I'm going to be receiving myself. How would I want to be treated? I should treat them as if I was treating myself. 
That's the golden rule. See, we're supposed to treat others the way we want to be treated. You know, and I guess if we all say we're doing the golden rule, I'm just going to have to guess that some people just really must like being yelled at. (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) Maybe some people really like being ignored (laughs) or have attitude thrown at them. Because, boy, if we're doing the golden rule and we treat others that way, must mean that I really like that. Well, it gets quiet now. If we're all doing the golden rule, it must mean that others, they really like when people gossip about them or tell tales about them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, we, don't, uh, we don't need to do that. Let's look at what the golden rule says in Matthew chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to a Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we're going to be jumping all around the Sermon on the Mount for the next few minutes. And the Sermon on the Mount can be found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I'm going to start with this verse from Matthew 7 and verse 12. It says, So that whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. See, the golden rule, if we will really think about it, and if we will really be honest in applying it to ourselves, it'll keep us from becoming play actors. It'll keep us from becoming hypocrites where we treat people nice just to get something back from them. It'll make us real because what the golden rule will do, it'll help us to look at our own hearts and it will expose our own motives. It's not just for kids, church. (laughs) It will cut you open and lay you out and let you see your own heart. Think about it. What do you benefit from your kindness toward others? Do people look around and just think, boy, that's a really awesome person? Or do we extend kindness towards others in hopes of being paid back? Or let me ask you this, how many times should I give to somebody or help somebody over and over and over with absolutely no return from them? How many times should I keep doing that before I just give up and walk away? How many times should I keep doing good things? See, like everything, God just takes away our defenses and our hiding places and just exposes our hearts. So today I want to tell you four things about the golden rule, okay? Four things. Look at that. I made a slide. You know I'm in a creative mood when I start making slides. Yeah. Four things about the golden rule. And the first one is this. The golden rule makes you like God. That's a big idea, isn't it? Makes you like God. Whatever you wish to do for others, others would do for you, rather, do also to them. Let me ask you this. Who is others? Think about that. It doesn't say just to do good to your friends, does it? It doesn't say do good just to your family. It doesn't say do this just to other Christians. It says others. I mean, others is a big open idea, isn't it? Others. I mean, technically, I'm me and everybody else is others. Think about that. So who is others? Others is literally everybody else, not just Christians, not just your family, not just your children, not just your wife, not just other Christians. Others is everybody else, people, people in general. Listen to what, Matthew, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Now, this just backs up to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, but all of these ideas are just interwoven through the whole sermon here, okay? Matthew 5 and 43, he says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that's hard to believe, but that was actually accepted common practice for them. They practiced loving their neighbors, 
with people who are close to them and hating their enemies. And then Jesus says, but, you know what but means, right? But means that what, what, what I just said is not the truth. I'm going to change it. <clears throat> I'm going to contradict it. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? Love your enemies? That's unthought of. I mean, your enemies are the ones who are trying to hurt you, to steal from you, to kill you, to do mean things to you. And he says, those are the people we should love. And the people who are persecuting us or putting pressure on us, those are the ones that we should be praying for. And this is not, got to understand, this is not just a principle of love. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like them very much, but I love them because the Bible says to love them. No, if we're going to be like God, we're actually going to have a heart of compassion for the people in the world. A heart of compassion for the lost around us, even if they lash out at us. And you know the prayer, it says, pray for those who persecute you. I got to tell you, there's all kinds of prayers, okay? It needs to be a good prayer. <laughs> not that, you know, not that prayer, oh God, bring them judgment. <laughs> Oh, God, pay them back for the evil they have done. That's not the prayer we're talking about. We're not praying for their harm or for their destruction. What are we praying for? For their salvation, for repentance, for blessing, for the light to come and their, their eyes to be enlightened, for them to be able to be saved. Come on. That's what we're supposed to be praying for. Don't be like James and John in, in Luke 9. You remember in, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and he had to go through Samaria and he wanted to stop and spend some time in a Samaritan village. But the Samaritans and the Jews were always at odds with each other. And so when they found out he was on his way to Jerusalem, they rejected him in this village and they said, no, you can't stay here. So he had nowhere to stay. And his disciples, James and John, you know, the th sons of thunder, they're like, well, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> I got to be honest, I kind of love the question because I think they really believed they could do it. <laughs> They've been doing some things, man. They've seen some miracles and some mighty acts of power of God just coming off of their hands when they'd be ministering to people. They're like, yeah, <laughs> prophet here. <laughs> You want us to call them fire? We'll take care of them, Lord. <laughs> what did Jesus say? He said, you know, he, he, he rebuked them. He said, you don't even know what spirit you are of. <laughs> and Jesus didn't come to destroy, did he? He came to save. Look at verse 44, chapter 5, as we go. Well, I just read the verse 44. Let me read it again, and we'll go on to 45. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Come on, we're supposed to be like our Father in heaven. And when we bless people who hurt us and lash out against us, when we bless our enemies and we pray for them, we are being like God. That's what the golden rule will make you like God. He goes on, he says, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. By the way, rain is a blessing in the Bible, all right? Rain is a blessing, unless you're a little kid and you have a birthday party. But uh, <laughs> rain, is, rain speaks of the blessings of God. So treating others the way that you want to be treated is treating others like God would treat them. He makes the sun come up on the evil and the good. He sends rain to the righteous and the lawless. He loves indiscriminately. 
And when we can love indiscriminately, we show ourselves to be his children. That's good, isn't it? So number one, the golden rule makes you like your father in heaven. Number two, the golden rule sums up the law and the prophets. The golden rule sums up the law of the prophet. That's the second part of our verse. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, it says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, the law and the prophets um, in Jesus' time, that's how they referred to the Old Testament writings, okay? So this is the Old Testament scriptures, the law that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and then the prophets, and um when you begin to study a concept of the law in the scriptures, you get the idea very quickly that the Old Testament laws and rituals and all the things they had to do, there is such a rich, rich meaning behind them. There's a very, it's heavy. It was taken so seriously. But there's this rich meaning behind them, yet they could not communicate the meaning in a full and meaningful way. They could only give you a picture of what was coming. And also the laws, the the things they were practicing and the laws and the writings, they're rich and they're beautiful. And I mean, they're filled with glory and thunder and crashes of lightning and judgment and all of these things, but they still could never bring the reality of what was coming. They couldn't do it. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse one. It says, for since the law was, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. See, the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, and it was not the true form. The true form was coming, right? It could give you an outline or an idea that something big was happening or something big was coming, and now that Jesus came, the law has fulfilled its purpose. Jesus is the end or the fullness of the law to all who believe. He's the end of the law. Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. I'm going to read that to you. It says, for Christ is the end, but keep your finger in Matthew chapter 4, 5, five 6, and 7, if you go there. Uh, for, it says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That word there, end, that word can mean the goal or the target or the outcome or the fulfillment or it could just mean the end, the final, final act. So Jesus is the end of the law. Why? Because he's the goal of the law. Everything that is in the law was pointing to him. The law ends in Jesus because Jesus fulfilled the law. But, but the end of the law is not lawlessness. And it's very important. A lot of people are confused about that today. The end of the law is not lawlessness. The end of the law is the true intent of the law now working in our hearts through grace and truth. That's what it is. I will explain. Look at Matthew chapter 7. If you should be in Matthew chapter 7, drop down to verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? And do we not do many mighty works in your name? And if James and John were standing there, he'd probably say, calling down fire doesn't count. And then I will declare to them, listen, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of what? Lawlessness. 
Lawlessness, that word there. Who does he send away? Law, the lawless, the people who are outside of law. The word there is anomia, okay? The word in the, in the Greek for law is nomia, and ah means it negates it. It's without law. That's what this word means. If you have a King James or another translation, it may say workers of iniquity or something like that. But the Greek word is you workers of lawlessness. And listen, it is true. If you really want to find out what's in a person's heart, you know, the quickest way to find out what's in a person's heart, just remove all laws, all rules, all pressure, and all consequences and just see what they do. Because what they do at that point with no pressure, external pressure, will be what's in their heart. Think about that. If you will love more without the command to love, then God's done a work in your heart. If you will give more under grace, without the command to be a giver, then God's done a work in your heart. If you'll serve more outside of the commandment, then you know God has done a work in your heart. Why? Because grace is supposed to take us where the law couldn't take us. So if we're going to walk in grace and walk in truth, we're going to enter into the realities of the reality of these things. We're going to do more than anybody ever did under the law. But on the other hand, and this is the problem I see out there today in different different places. Not here, thank God, but, but you need to know it because you may come across it. If you think that the end of the law is just freedom to sin without consequence, do whatever you want and don't worry about it because God's going to love you and it's all going to be okay, then that's evidence that you've never met him. That's evidence that he's never written his laws on your heart. There is a freedom in him, but, the, but there's also a working of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount that the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you, this fulfills the law and the prophet. This golden rule is what the Old Testament scriptures were aiming at. So if we can get you, by God's grace, to get to a point where the golden rule, you can do it from your heart, naturally, then we'll be fulfilling the intent of everything that was written about in the Law and the Prophets. Isn't that an amazing thought? If we can come to the point where we can really treat others the way we would treat ourselves and do it from our hearts, not because we're trying to manipulate people or to get them to pay us back or to, to get them to share our video games or whatever it is, if we can really live that way freely from our heart, it shows God's work written on our heart. This is a huge statement. It's a huge idea, isn't it? But it's not the only time Jesus said something about it. You may remember in Matthew 22, look at that with me. Matthew 22, verse 35. And, uh, you know, they're always questioning Jesus. They're always trying to trap him in his words. So one of these uh, teachers of the law, the Jewish law, comes up, and they're trying to, to corner him. And so he asks them a question to test him, it says. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And 38, this is the greatest and the first commandment. And then Jesus goes on. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This, these two commandments is what the, all the law and all the prophets were trying to get you to become. You could say it like this. All the laws are dangling off of these two basic ideas. Love for God and love for one another. 
This is the ultimate focus of the law given by Moses. You know, the sacrifices, the temple offerings, and all the stuff, all the rituals they did, all the laws they had to keep, the diet laws. I know it's kind of silly thinking about it now, but thank God you weren't there having to live through that. <laughs> but they were all pointing to something. And they were all pointing to these two big ideas that if we can, if Jesus can write them in your heart by the power of the Spirit, that you have the power to live out, you will not be lawless. This is his law written on your heart. See, Moses couldn't take them into the promised land, could he? Who took them in? Jo Joshua took them in, right? What's Joshua's name in Hebrew? Yeshua. Moses can't get you there, but Yeshua can. The law can't give you a clean heart, but Jesus can. What's Jesus' name in Hebrew? Yeshua. Yeah, you see it? Moses can't take you there. The law can't take you there, but Jesus can take you there. So he says, Matthew 5, 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but what? To fulfill them. I came to fulfill them. And this is what fulfillment looks like. It looks like God doing a work in your heart that makes it not only possible, but natural for you to live the golden rule out of your heart. So number one, the golden rule makes you like your father. Number two, the golden rule sums up the law of the prophets. And number three, the golden rule is active, not passive. It's active. Think about this. Before Jesus, uh, Greek philosophers taught a variation of the golden rule. They said, basically they said this, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. I'll tell you what, that fits right into our culture in America, doesn't it? <laughs> because, come on, we are a culture of people who just want to be left alone. <laughs> you don't bother me, I won't bother you. You don't get all up in my business, I won't get all up in your business, right? And there's no problems until you start meddling. But the golden rule doesn't allow us just to stay out of your business. I'm supposed to be looking for opportunities to do for you what I would want others to do for me. It's not enough just to not do to you things that I don't want to have done. I have to actually do things for you that I would want others to do for me. See, James picks up on this principle when he says in James 4, 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, he fails to do, fails to do. In other words, this is something he didn't do what he should have done. It says to him, it is sin. See, there are things that we're supposed to do toward one another that if we fail to do them, we miss the mark. We come up short. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Come on, the priest and the Levite walked right by that man and did him no harm. Right? But they didn't do him any good either. And it was for that that they drew the criticism of Jesus. They should have helped him. So we're supposed to be looking for opportunity to do good. What does Jesus, what does it say in Acts 10, 38? That Jesus went around doing good. He went around doing good and healing all who were under. When we go around doing good for others, actively doing, not just leaving them alone, but doing good things. And hey, it could get you in trouble. Hey, it got him crucified. I'm not saying it's not going to get you in trouble, but we still, we have an obligation before God to live out the golden rule, to do good to one another. After all, Jesus is our example. Amen? And finally, number four, 
Number four. Remember number three, the golden rule is active, not passive. And number four, the golden rule, good news for you today, the golden rule is absolutely impossible to keep. <laughs> In the way that I just described it, it's not something that you're going to be able to do just with effort. Because why? Like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not bringing us new rules to follow. It's not a rule that you have to follow, something that you have to do if you want to make heaven. What it is, he's describing what can be possible in your life if you would surrender your life to God and let him write his law on your heart. This is how you will live naturally in the kingdom of God when the Spirit is working in your heart. It's a big deal if we treat people nice who treat us nice. What are we doing more than others? So what if we love our friends and family and hate everyone else? So golden, the golden rule takes us beyond our little circle of friends, doesn't it? What if we do good to others just because we're hoping for kindness in return? Or get this, what if we do things because we cave to the pressure of our culture that says you have to take these certain stands on certain things? Come on, that's going on a lot right here. Businesses, if they don't take certain stands on, on political issues, uh, they, they, they're not doing it because they really care about the, that, you know, whatever that group is that they're supposed to be defending. They're doing it because they want to keep their business and they think this is the way forward in the new thinking. Come on, the golden rule will cause us to love people out of our hearts, not just because of external pressure. Come on, if we're doing it just because of external pressure, where, where's the virtue in that? We're supposed to be doing more. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 46, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Come on, look around you. Everybody loves people who love them. That's easy. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? He says, what more are you doing than others? The golden rule, we're supposed to be doing more. We're supposed to be shining like a light. City on a hill. We're supposed to be doing more, and the golden rule will take you there if we allow the Holy Spirit to do it through us. I've got to tell you something. God believes in the new birth. God really believes in the new creation. He really believes that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he can not only forgive our sins, but he can give us new hearts that are remade in the image of him so that our hearts can beat with the things that he, are, he is passionate with. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. And he really believes in the ability of his spirit to come into our heart and to cause us to become this. And this is what the golden rule is. It's describing a reality that we can walk in and we can become when we walk with God. And he lives his life through us. Beloved, 1 John 4, 7 through 9. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Listen to that. Whoever loves has been born of God. Whoever loves has been born of God. 
And who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Listen to that. Our love for one another is evidence that we've been born of God, that God's done his work in our heart. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his love into the world. Why? So that we might live through him. Right there, all this can be done through him. We are supposed to be living in him. All the Sermon on the Mount is a description of what our lives can be like if we are living through him. Come on, that's good, isn't it? And so what's the solution? I mean, should you try to keep it? Oh, yeah, you should. I mean, you should try to keep it. It's better to keep it. <laughs> you know, don't be afraid of effort. You know, the Bible doesn't say that it's going to be effortless. You know, I did a series uh, last year on, on fruit bearing. and Anybody who's got a garden knows that it takes effort. It takes effort to work the soil, keep the bugs out and, 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 you know, prop up your tomato plants and prune your thing. It takes effort. So effort is not legalism. Don't think that for a second. Don't be afraid of effort. But Jesus said this, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. Okay. If your fruit's not right, you're not going to get it right until you go and get the tree made right. Right? Does that make sense? See, it's like a man who had a tree in a garden. Right there in the middle of his garden, big, big, green, leafy tree. And he wanted everybody who came to admire his tree. But his tree didn't bear any fruit. So every morning, he would wake up really early, as soon as the market opened. And he would go down there and he would buy himself five bushels of apples, the best-looking apples he could find. He'd handpick them. They're gorgeous, plump, and juicy. And he'd come back and he would cleverly fasten those apples, that fruit on his tree, to make it look like his tree was bearing fruit. How many of you know this is the hard way? <laughs> this is the hard way. But everybody would walk by and they'd be outside the gate and they'd look in at his garden and see that big tree there. And they would admire his tree. And they would admire the fruit on his tree. But the whole thing was a lie. And he knew it. If he wanted that tree to bear fruit, what did he need to do? He needed to get down into the roots of that thing. He needed to get down into the heart of that thing and change that tree and make it a good tree. And when it's a good tree, it would start bearing its own fruit. And that's what God has called us to do, is to be a good tree to bear this kind of fruit for the kingdom. He wants to fix us at the roots. Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. This is God's solution. This is God's answer to the Sermon on the Mount. And the golden rule is this. He wants the golden rule to come out of our heart because he wants to get into our heart. And this is what our hearts will look like when our hearts are good, like that tree is good. And so this time, can I get the band to come forward? And as they come forward, if we have the communion, um, the communion, ele communion elements ready as well, we'll go ahead and have, go ahead, sir. Call you all forward and block the way with a table. That would be really nice. There we go. We'll just set them up here on this table. And uh, we're a little tight, but we managed to do it. 
If you'd like to partake of the communion today, we will sing the song as many times as we need to sing to until everybody gets it. If you would uh, come forward um, as we sing and then just receive the elements and take them back with you and then we'll, we'll all partake together. And as we take the bread and cup, just know that these elements, as we call them, they represent the sacrifice that Jesus has made so that he could do this work in our hearts that I'm talking about today. If you've never received him, I just want to tell you, communion is a beautiful way to receive him. It's a beautiful way to come into a relationship with him. Let this act of taking the bread, which represents his body broken for you, and drinking the cup, which is his life, his lifeblood poured out for you, let it be your response to his invitation to receive what he's done for you. And for others who've received him, this is a time that will be remembering what he has done and a time just to apply it to every area of your life. You know, the Bible talks about working out your salvation. When Jesus worked out your salvation, what are we working out? We're taking this salvation that he's planted in us and we're working it out into every area of our lives. You know, maybe sometimes we need to get a little bit aggressive with this blood. Come on, there's a bloodline that surrounds you if you're in him that the devil has no right to touch, has no right to cross. You hold that blood against. It says, it says they overcame him by the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb. You hold that blood out there. You say, you're not, touch, you're not touching me. I'm under the blood. As we sing this song, as you will, come up family by family and uh, we'll receive communion together. <laughs>